You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Really thankful to um, be able to be with you this morning, gathering in person. I was talking to um, a pastor yesterday whose church has been meeting in person, but just due to uh, increasing numbers within their church family, um, he was actually having to record his sermon yesterday. Um, I know even at Trinity, we've got multiple uh, families being impacted by it with uh, multiple parents in the hospital right now. Um, I was even texting with Miss Carolyn this morning about a uh, 49-year-old pastor that passed away um, from COVID just this week who taught at a local Christian school and um, just a lot of families being impacted right now uh, from a health standpoint, whether it's COVID or, or other sicknesses. We had a, a dad of two girls, a fifth grader and a third grader, I believe, that passed away just recently from um, colon cancer and um, just a lot. I feel like a lot of pressing things on family, both within our church and then families outside of our church as well. And so I'd encourage you. I know Marcus led us in prayer this morning, but to hear those prayer requests and to lift those up um, on your own throughout the week too. Um, just a lot of families that are being impacted in ways and faith being uh, challenged and tested. And that's certainly a topic that we're going to look at today as we um, jump back into the book of Ephesians and see Paul highlighting even the faith um, of these saints in Ephesus. Right? Last week we wrapped up that long sentence in the Greek language, verses 3 through 14, specifically looking at verses 11 through 14 and how uh, the Holy Spirit seals us and assures us of our salvation, right? So we talked about that doctrine of the security of the believer, what it means to, to hope in Christ and to be assured that our hope will endure to the end. We sang about some of that today, right? That we will, we will make it to the end. Um, we said last week that as believers, we've been guaranteed a secure future, meaning that our faith will endure to the end, which should encourage us to prepare for the end by living for his glory now. Um, so we saw that we have obtained an inheritance. We've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, that we have a hope in Christ and we'll continue to hope in Christ because we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we said that some people get nervous about that doctrine of eternal security because they believe that if, not, if we're not careful, we give people a license to then live however they want to because they have this guarantee that they're saved, that they're good, that they'll be with Christ for eternity. So nothing now matters and they can just live however they want to, right? We said that instead what scripture seems to present is more a viewpoint like eternal security is a ticket. It's a guarantee of something, but just like we would have a ticket to Disney World and we would prepare diligently for that trip, we're to prepare for our eternity with Christ as well. It's not a license to just sin and live for the things of this world. Instead, it's a ticket that assures us of participation in the future and gives us much reason to prepare for that as we get closer and closer. We look today at another long sentence, um, and, and I don't know, I didn't, I didn't see anything in the Greek language about uh, the length of the sentence in the original language. I can tell you in the English language, um, it's one really long sentence. Uh, verses 15 uh, down through 23, I don't think there's a period until you get to the end of verse 23. Uh, but just like we saw in verses 3 through 14, way too much content to try to cover in one day's sermon. And so we're going to break this up, which will feel even more unnatural, because at least in 3 through 14, we got some English periods thrown in there. There's no English periods thrown in here uh, to this long sentence. Um, but we're going we're gonna to start by looking at just verses 15 
and 16 today. And so I want to read that for you. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Before I give you our summary sentence for today, I want to give you a question to kind of ponder for a second. What do you believe that you're known for? What do you believe people know you for? When people describe you, what do you think the the words or the traits that have had a resounding impact on others, making these traits and, and words come to mind when they think about you most? What are you known for? Are you known for things that may not last? Are you known uh, to people for the job that you work? Are you known for the talent uh, that you possess or the, the interests that lie with you? Are you known for superficial qualities? Um, I know I talk to students a lot of times. I have the unfortunate uh, role of getting to know like the students that are always in trouble, right? Nobody sends the good students to my office, right? Nobody says, hey, Mr. Vincent, I want to send this student to you because he made 100 on his test and he's shown exemplary character, right? They keep those kids in the classroom. They send to me the kids they don't know what to do with next, right? So I get to know these, these kids that are viewed as troublemakers, which um, I love because I love being able to build a relationship with students who sometimes feel challenged in finding an adult that wants to build a relationship with them, right? Um, but one of the conversations that I'll have constantly is, Uh, whether this student really wants to be known as the funny guy, right? Because I try to explain to students, a lot of times the funny guy gets to know me a lot because you're in my office all the time, right? Because you think you're being funny and and you're getting your your friends to laugh, but it causes disruptions in the classroom. And so we talk a lot about whether we want to really be known as this type of student, this type of individual, right? Are you known for some of these superficial type things, are you known for talents or interests or jobs? Are these, are these the things that come to mind first when people think of you? For Paul, when he starts to talk about the Ephesians, it's their faith and love that comes to mind, right? Their, their doctrine, uh, the truth that they hold to, the truth that they believe, um, but then also the ways that they express belief in that truth, right? It's not just that they have head knowledge about who Jesus is, they are living in such a way that shows that they have faith in that knowledge, right? We talked about how the saints of Ephesus seems contradictory because Ephesus was a really difficult place to live if you were trying to live differently than the world. And yet they had been able to achieve this status because the Holy Spirit lives inside of them, because they're sealed by the Holy Spirit. They are living differently to the point that Paul references them as saints, right? And now when he talks about who they are and what resonates with him when he thinks about them. It's their faith and it's their love that comes to mind. Our summary sentence for today is Christians are to be known for their faith and love and are to celebrate the faith and love seen in others by giving praise to God regularly through prayer. Christians are to be known for their faith and love and are to celebrate the faith and love seen in others by giving praise to God regularly through prayer. For our kids, true Christians trust God and love others. These, these terms, faith and love, these are hallmarks of Christianity. Um, these are two character traits that, that are really meant to describe every true Christian, every true believer, 
has faith in Jesus. We saw last week they have expressed hope in Jesus, right? And then the natural outflowing of the Holy Spirit really indwelling us. That first fruit of the Spirit mentioned is is love is supposed to flow from us once we've been given spiritual life, right? So faith and love are these hallmarks of Christianity, these pillars of Christianity that define really what a Christian is. It's proper faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just faith in general, right? Um, we, uh, my family got the chance to go to Snowbird last week and um, got to be a part of their church service up there at Red Oak Church. And one of the guys who was leading them in prayer specifically mentioned prayer for his mom and dad who were moving to that area, but they're Mormons. This guy had grown up in the Mormon uh, faith. Um, he had been invited to Snowbird by one of the churches that visits Snowbird regularly, had been exposed to the gospel, had gotten saved. He's the only Christian in his family, right? His parents are moving there. They're devout Mormons, right? They have faith. They have faith, and they have an element of love as well, right? Um, but it's, it's, it's faith in the wrong Jesus, right? It, it's misplaced faith. And so when Paul highlights their faith here, he's highlighting the proper faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love for the fellow saints. Faith is an element that that really divides us, right? It divides us from the world. When we express faith in Jesus, it separates us from the team that we play for, really, right? When we we do baptisms, I'm always talking about how uh, we view baptisms like a press conference. It's it's an individual declaring. They no longer live for themselves. They no longer live for uh, the world. They no longer subject themselves to the things that are constantly going on around us. Instead, they now live for Jesus, right? It's a change of teams. We are announcing publicly what's already happened privately. They've agreed to follow Jesus, just like a professional athlete has already signed a contract. He now comes forth publicly and says, look, you should expect me to show up playing for a different team now. I'm going to wear different uh, clothing, different uniform. I'm going to show up at a different stadium, right? Faith divides us from this world, And then love unites us. Love unites us with others who have divided themselves from the things of this world. Remember several years ago, we were down in Florida, um, and I was down at the pool cooking. We were grilling out. I think it was either Adam's first or second time being a part of our family and going with us. I was down there getting ready to grill burgers, right? And uh, I'm not really thinking about anything, just getting the grill set up. And all of a sudden, in the distance, I hear an adult man start like barking like a dog, right? And I'm like, what is going on? And then I just hear like, go dogs, Georgia, yeah. And I'm thinking like, it's July. Like college football season's not even going on. Like what is happening right now? And I look up and I see this guy who's just like pumping his fist and he's still barking like a dog. And I'm like, what's this guy doing? And then I look down and I realize I'm wearing a Georgia Bulldogs t-shirt, right? And so this guy feels like this level of camaraderie with me, like, hey, we both root for the same team, right? And like, he's excited about it, right? And I was just like, yeah, go Georgia. Um, The whole whole situation was kind of weird. Then a couple of years ago, I had the chance with with Coach Hanson here, we went to the TCU Ole Miss game. I could care less about either team, right? I just happened to wear a Trinity pullover that had a purple T on it, which is real similar to TCU. They're purple, and they have a T in their logo, right? We're going up the elevator, and this guy sees me, and he's like, yeah, horn Frogs, and like goes to give me a high five, and I was just like, yeah, I'll root for the horn Frogs today. I don't know. 
right? There's this, there's this idea in like the sporting realm that like when you wear a jersey or a t-shirt or something, it, it communicates division. Like, hey, like I'm with this team, not any other team. And it also communicates a level of unity. Anybody else that identifies with this team, we're automatically friends and family, right? Come eat with me, come touch me, give me high fives, like whatever, like hug me, right? Like all of a sudden we're best friends. In the spiritual realm, that's all the more the case, right? Our faith ought to divide us in such a way where we're not a part of this team anymore, we're a part of this team, right? We follow Jesus, not the things of this world. And by doing so, we align ourselves with other people in an attitude of love, in an attitude of unity, even if we're just meeting each other for the first time, right? This level of love ought to be present because there's an agreement, there's a unity. We have chosen to follow Jesus. And I believe that Paul can feel that even as he writes to uh, a church at Ephesus, a letter that's going to be circulated. He doesn't know all the people that are reading this, but he can express great gratitude for these people, right? As he, as he hears of their faith, hears of their love, he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let's start with what he says there first in verse 15, for this reason. As I'm studying this, I naturally want to ask myself, what reason, right? What reason is he referencing? And I think there's a lot that's going on here when he says for this reason. One, I think he's referencing back to what we've already studied in verses 3 through 14. In light of what I've just said, Paul is saying, things that are true about you, right? In light of everything that I've just said in verses uh, 3 through 14, all these spiritual truths, all these blessings, this idea that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, you've been chosen in him, you've been adopted according to the purpose of his will, you've been redeemed, you've been given um, an inheritance, right? Like in light of all of this, for this reason. But then in addition to that, I think we can also say in light of what he knows about these people, in light of the fact that he knows that they have faith, in light of the fact that he knows they have love towards the saints, for this reason. But then also, I think he's saying for these reasons that I'm about to share with you these other truths that are about to flow in verses 17 and following, for these reasons, I give thanks for you and I keep you in my prayers. Let's look real quick before we delve more into 15 and 16. What is he specifically praying for them? And again, we're going to look at this more intently in the coming weeks. But verse 17 says, he remembers them in their prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And finally, you get a period there. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is, what is Paul praying for? He's praying that these people would have wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. Particularly, they would know the hope, the inheritance, and the power that has been granted to them. This coming prayer is for the saints to see these things in verses 3 through 14. He's just mentioned more deeply. 
so that true praise for his glorious grace is a result. Do you see that? Paul is desiring for the glory of verses 3 through 14, what we've just studied in the past three weeks, to be understood and realized because God is worthy of the praise for providing these realities to us. So he's just listed off all this deep theology to us. Here's what you possess as a believer in Christ. Then he follows it up by saying, I'm going to pray that you better understand that. I'm going to pray that you better grasp what I've just tried to teach you so that praise and glory really is the result, so that you really are uh, prone to give glory to God for these things that you're coming to understand that you enjoy. So 3 through 14, it's all about praise. 15 through 23, it's all about praying for that praise to happen. Now back to verses 15 and 16. We can break it down into to two, two ideas or two parts here. One, what Paul has heard. He's heard about their faith and love. And then secondly, what he's remembering to do. He is ceaselessly giving thanks through prayer, right? For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let's look at our notes here. Number one, we want to be exercising our faith in Jesus. Be exercising your faith in Jesus. These people have faith, they've expressed faith, and now they are doing so in such a way where it is heard about. Others are aware, others are hearing of their faith in Jesus. There's two aspects to faith. Number one, we need to be grounded in our knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ, right? Over the years, we've, dis- we've defined faith here at Sovereign Hope as trusting truth, right? Trusting truth. Faith means that we have an element of truth that's been given to us, we're aware of it, and we've expressed trust in that. We call that faith, right? So in order for us to exercise our faith in Jesus, it means us being grounded in a knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. We have to have good doctrine in place. Now I'd ask you this question, how do you currently grow in your doctrinal understanding of Jesus? Just pause there for a second. How do you currently, as an individual Christian, how are you growing in your truth, in your knowledge of the truth of God's word? Is it simply showing up here on a Sunday? Is that the the extent that you're yielding your mind and your heart to? Is that it during the week? I mean, that, that's, that's good. Like, that's healthy. We, we certainly are called to gather in this format and to hear God's word preached and taught publicly like this. But I would challenge you with the resources that are available to us. There's so many other ways throughout the week for you to be increasing your knowledge of who Jesus is so that your faith can then grow alongside of that. As your knowledge of truth increases about Jesus Christ, you can then express more trust in that knowledge, right? So we need to be grounded in our knowledge of the truth of Jesus. And then number two, we need to be expressing ongoing visible faith in those truths we claim to believe. So number one was all about good doctrine. Now we're talking about good practice. That we're not just allowing our our heads to be filled with knowledge on a Sunday morning, but that as we leave, we seek to apply it. We seek to do something with it. We We seek to express this trust in these truths, right? And our faith grows as we do that. These, these people at Ephesus, they were hearing about Jesus, they were trusting in Jesus, and that faith was becoming known to people like Paul who weren't even present 
in Ephesus. Be exercising your faith in Jesus. And then number two, be loving towards all around you. Be loving towards all around you. The second thing that he expresses knowing about these people, these saints in Ephesus, not only has he heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus, he's also heard about their love towards all the saints. I think that word all is important because I think it reminds us that we need to be impartial in our demonstration of love towards others. They loved all their fellow Christians, not just the ones they liked. Right? They would have been impartial in their demonstration of love towards others. This, if their love was simply confined to people that were like them, that's not the type of love that's resounding forth that Paul would hear about. The, the, the lost world tends to love people like them, right? The glory of the gospel is that the church unites around Jesus and we come from all different walks of life, right? We come from different skin colors, different cultures, different economic statuses, different abilities, right? We come together and we unite around the same, the same Lord Jesus, right? And we love each other in the midst of uniting around Jesus. We're impartial in the ways that we demonstrate our love towards others, and then number two, we need to be intentional in our demonstration of love towards others. We need to be intentional, both impartial, meaning that nobody is excluded from our love, but then also intentional in that we, we seek to love others in a way that makes an impact, that becomes well-known, right? I couldn't help but think again about the teachings that we've been leaning on from the, the Sermon on the Mount, particularly in the area of the golden rule, right? That we're to, we're to treat others the way that we desire to be treated, whether we ever receive that treatment or not, right? We, we, we treat our spouse, we treat our kids, we treat our coworkers, we treat our neighbors, we treat extended family members the way that we desire for them to treat us. We model for them how we'd like to be treated, even if they never buy into that, right? We, we seek to love others because it's, a, again, a hallmark of what it means to be a Christian. John chapter 13, if you want to flip over there, if you just want to write it down, John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. First John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But this we know love, that he laid down his love for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Right? So John says this is how we know that we've passed from death to life. We have an increasing love for Christians around us. Right? We, are, we are doing what Jesus did, and that was to, to love others sacrificially, even if it means laying down our life. Right? We think of John 3.16 as being that verse that talks about God giving us his son. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. 1 John 3.16 tells us, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Right? John 3.16 tells us that. 1 John 3.16 tells us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers as well. 
We need to be intentional in our demonstration of love towards others. Be exercising your faith. Be loving towards all around you. Right? So the question that I would, I would ask you now is, are you known for your faith and love as you should be? Are you known for your faith and love as you should be? If we were to ask your family members, if we were to ask your coworkers, if we were to ask your neighbors, would faith and love be attributes that, that come out very quickly in conversation about you? When, when trials hit, are you known for trusting versus doubting God with your circumstances? Remember we talked about in our study of the Gospel of John, we want the time gap to lessen that it takes for us to be hit with a trial and to turn in faith to Jesus, right? We allow the fact, we understand that as fallen human beings, there's going to be times of worry and anxiety that will initially spring up when a trial hits, when difficult circumstances hit. But what we want to see is our faith coming out of that anxiety, coming out of that worry as we remind ourselves, look, Jesus is in control, right? Jesus is in control. As I was texting with Miss Carolyn this morning about this, this young pastor that, that's passed away, you know, she made the comment, she said, what, what's difficult about what we're hearing in the medical field is that everything seems so random, how COVID-19 impacts some people so differently than others. And, and she said, but what, what we're reminded of is that nothing's random, right? Nothing is random. Right? God, God is in control of everything. Circumstances hit, trials hit, and our immediate fleshly reaction is, what is happening? What's going on, right? Why, why are things out of control? And then our faith kicks in at some point, right? And we're reminded, and, and peace sets in that God is in control, that God loves us and God is good. Immature Christians, sometimes that takes weeks, months, even years, right? As we mature, we want to lessen that time gap to where it's moments of anxiety, moments of worry, and then our faith is, is proceeding forth, and we're reminded that and Jesus is in control. Jesus loves me. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. My future is secure. My future is destined, right? Like, that's what we're wanting to see is that, that time gap lesson, right? And that's the type of faith that we become known by. When we're, when we're hit by trials, we're hit by difficult circumstances, and we are turning immediately to Jesus in faith. When opportunities arise to meet needs, to show hospitality and generally serve others, are you known for being front and center? Do people think of you as one who wants to give back and wants to serve and wants to help take care of others? We post different needs on the realm at times, different service opportunities, different ways that you can give, whether it's to our missionaries, whether it's to local opportunities, or whether it's even to within people within our church. And there's people that come to mind immediately for me that I would expect to be involved in that. I'm not going to tell you who that is, right? My question would be, do you think you're on that immediate list? that come to other people's minds as people who will step forth and be involved in serving and giving to others, right? Diana wanted me to mention she's going to need some help in two weeks moving from where she lives in Noonan. She's going to be renting uh, Jesse and Cortland's house, right? Two weeks, you're going to have an opportunity to show love to someone who has come and moved here and joined our church to be a part of this family. And we can give back of our resources and our time and our energy to help serve. This idea of faith and love is not, is not unique just to this one section of Scripture, right? I told you Colossians is a parallel book that speaks to a lot of the same topics. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul again, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. He's saying the exact same thing about these people in Colossus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This was the very first book of the Bible that we looked at when we planted Sovereign Hope almost 10 years ago. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You skip down to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. You skip to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. You skip to the book of uh, Philemon. It's only got one chapter, verses 4 and 5. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And then in 1 John, chapter 3 again, but down, down in verse 23, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Man, we ought to be known for our faith and love. We ought to be known for our unshaking trust in Jesus, that he's in control of our life. And because we rest in that, we rest in his goodness. Remember the golden rule, the reason that we can treat people the way that we desire to be treated, even if they never treat us that way back, is that we rest in the fact that God is our source of goodness. God is the source of the treatment that we desire. He gives it to us, even if no other human ever gives it to us. And so we can treat other people the way that we desire to be treated because we're trusting in his goodness. I want to be known for that. I want to be known for my faith in Jesus. And I want to be known for my love towards others. An impartial love, an impactful love. I want to be motivated for the fact that, by the fact that I trust that God loves me. And therefore, I can love others, even if I never feel the same love back, right? Paul says, I've heard of you. I've heard of your faith, and I've heard of your love. And then we see what he does with those feelings, right? He says, I've heard of this. I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your love. And I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So point number three this morning is to be looking for both traits in others. Not only does it have personal application for us, that we should, we should read this passage and say, I want to be in a group of people. I want to be known for this. I want to be known for my faith and love. When people think of me, I don't want them to think first of where I work. I don't want them to first think about the things that I enjoy doing on this earth, right? I don't want them to first think about um, uh, superficial qualities, that I'm funny or that I'm smart or that I'm good with my hands or I can do this or that. I want them to think of my faith and my love. But then I think we ought to model or follow the model that Paul has set, and that's to be looking for both of these traits in others. To, to see the growing faith and to see the growing love in others and to celebrate it. Number one, we need to be celebratory about the growth we see in others. We need to thank God for the evidences of his grace in his people, to thank God for the evidences of his grace in his people. 
And one of the benefits I think that we see here is when you're known for your faith and your love, it makes it easier for people to remember you when they're praying, right? Like Paul says, man, when I sit down to pray, you keep coming to my mind because I think about your faith and your love. And so then I, I therefore pray for you more, right? I pray that your faith will increase, your love will increase, right? So there's kind of a, this, this nice byproduct of when we become known for our faith and love, we get mentioned more in other people's prayers, right? People are prone to pray for us as they hear about our faith and our love. But this idea of faith and love, it's shown, it gives Paul confidence that his prayers are not invalid, right? I, I think Paul feels compelled to pray for these people because he really believes that they're Christians, right? And so he can therefore pray what he's about to pray in verses 17 and following, praying that their wisdom would increase, that their eyes would be enlightened, that they would come to understand the hope that they have in Jesus more and more, because he realizes, I'm praying for Christians here, right? My, my prayers aren't going aren't to return void, because I'm actually praying to God for something that he's promised. He's promised to keep these true Christians enduring, so I'm going to pray that God will do that, right? I'm going to pray that their faith and love would increase. He's ceaseless in his thanksgiving. He's always looking for these snippets of growth to celebrate. And these people aren't perfect, right? Like he's going he's gonna to go on in this book to, to talk about things that they need to, to see changed in their life, things they need to come to realize more in their life. These people aren't perfect. Don't confuse that calling them saints as though they have become so saintly that they've achieved this great status where they don't need to grow anymore, Right? We said back when we were talking about that, hey, the idea of saints is tied to Jesus' work, not their work. They are saints because Jesus is perfect. Jesus is righteous. And so he's, he's simply identifying these moments of grace, these moments of faith and love that he sees, and he's, he's, he's drawing attention to those things. But what I love about this is that his praise is directed not towards the people for their own growth, but to God who is the source of all their growth right? Notice he doesn't thank these people. He doesn't write the Ephesians, Ephesians and say, thank you for trusting God, or thank you for loving other Christians. He doesn't thank them for it. Who does he thank? He thanks God because God is the source of it, right? So he, he talks about their faith. He talks about their love, but then he gives credit to God. What does that do? Well, one, it, it helps the Ephesians realize that ultimately God needs to get the praise and not themselves, right? It helps the Ephesians even give glory to God versus becoming prideful. Oh, I like being built up by Paul. I love him talking about how my faith and my love is growing, right? Paul strips any ability for them to be prideful about it and says, man, I'm thanking God that he's growing you people, right? Man, I was so encouraged. I, I love getting to go to Snowbird now. It's, it's a different factor now with Adam and Tiffany and Juju and Connor living up there, because one, I get to go see my, my, my snowbird friends and family that I've, that I've loved over the years. But now I get to also go see a Sovereign Hope family that I've loved over the years. But what's, what's, what's so cool is that I was used to seeing the Longs regularly here, right? And so I would see their growth in faith and their growth in love, but it, but it didn't necessarily stand out because I was seeing them throughout the, the months, right? You know, you know, sometimes like somebody that hasn't seen your child in a while, they'll be like, whoa, your kid's grown like a foot since the last time I, I saw him. And you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess they have gotten bigger, right? But you don't notice it as much because you see them every day. And your kid's growing, you just don't see it as much. I love being able to go and spend time with the longs because I haven't seen them in a, in a long period of time. 
and to kind of see and hear how God's working in their life, how he's growing their faith, how he's increasing their love, right? To be sitting in a Mexican restaurant and to see people walk in from Snowbird and to see them come over and love on the Long family and for the Longs to talk about, hey, we're discipling this girl, we're hanging out with these families. It's so encouraging, so encouraging. But I don't thank them for it. I don't thank the Longs for growing and loving, right? I thank God that he is continuing to work in them, even though they're not a part of our church anymore. They've relocated and God is continuing to grow their faith and love. And it's all about his work in their life. For us, we can thank God for faith wherever we see it. Whenever we see it in the life of somebody else, we can thank him for it. Romans 6, 17 says, thanks be to God. And then Paul talks about how you've changed these people from sin slaves, slaves to sin, to slaves of righteousness. Right? It's God who deserves the praise and the thanks for it. We can thank God for love that is produced in the life of others. Galatians 5.22 is the fruits of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to love others. That same Holy Spirit that we saw last week that we are sealed by, he gives us the capacity to love. And we ought to provide spiritual support to others by commending, commending them for the good that we see, right? despite the growth that we still know they need to have. Right? We, we can see faith and love in other people. And we don't have to get caught up in the fact that, well, I also saw a lot of lack of faith and lack of love last week. Right? We see these snippets of grace that God is working in the life of somebody else, and we draw attention to it. And we draw attention to it. We affirm what God is doing in their life. Not to celebrate that individual, right? but to give praise and glory to God, which is what Ephesians 1 has been all about, right? to the praise of his glorious grace. We give that to God. We acknowledge it. But by doing so, by highlighting the faith and love in somebody else, I, th- I think we spur them on to grow more in that area, right? Everybody loves affirmation. Everybody loves encouragement. I don't need the pride of feeling like I've been growing myself in faith and love, but to hear somebody else express to me that they see me growing in faith and love, I mean, that encourages me that somebody else sees God working in my life, right? And it also spurs me on to crave and desire and to pray even myself for God to continue that in my life. We need to be celebratory. Number two, we need to be prayerful about the additional growth needed in others. So he, he says, man, I know about your faith. I know about your love. I can't stop thanking God for you in my prayers. And then as we're going to see in the coming weeks, what does he follow it up with? I'm praying that you would do more. I'm praying that you would know more. I'm praying that you would serve more. I'm praying you'd love more. He's like, I, I, I see these things. I'm celebrating these things, but then I'm praying for additional growth. I'm praying for this increase of wisdom and revelation and knowledge that you would see who Christ is and submit yourself even more to him. The implication is that for these truths to be deeply realized, it'll take supernatural intervention, right? We've talked in the past couple of months that we're called to pray for things and we're told that if we don't ask, there's certain things that we don't receive, right? And so Paul is saying for us to have a deeper wisdom, a deeper understanding of God's revelation it, in, it requires God supernaturally intervening in our minds and hearts to help us see it. And so Paul, he's, he's constantly in prayer for these people to, to have these things happen in their life. Notice how he's praying for spiritual needs and not material needs. How often are our prayer requests that we mention so tied to the material? Right? Um, even in the midst of these seasons of sickness, what I've really tried to pray for families, and I've tried to express this to families that have reached out to me, Trinity families that have asked for prayer for certain things, what I've particularly tried to emphasize 
I'm praying for healing, yes, but I'm also praying that your faith will increase during this time. That your kids who are watching you and your spouse handle this, they'll see your faith and their faith will grow as a result as well. Right? Praying for the spiritual as, I don't think it's a discount. I don't think we just stop praying for the material, but we certainly have to pray for the spiritual at a minimum because Paul models that for us. He's he's praying in an unceasing way. It's ongoing. He's praying generously. He's praying for others, and he's praying gratefully. He's appreciating God's work in others. So I'll leave you with this question. When you see a Christian acting in faith or love, what's your normal inclination for a response? When you see a Christian acting in faith or love, what's your normal inclination for a response? Are you prone to jealousy? Right? Do we see others and their spiritual growth and become jealous of it? Are we prone to criticism? Maybe we see somebody else celebrating and highlighting the growth and the faith and the love of somebody, and we start to think, yeah, but there's a lot of other things that's going wrong with that person. Right? Are we prone to criticize to make ourselves feel better, to tear somebody else down, to, to build ourselves up? Are we prone to idolatry? Are we prone to sometimes put people on a pedestal in such a way where we, we're so enamored with their faith and love that we take our eyes off Jesus and we put it on a human being who we saw last week can fall, right? Human beings that we put too highly on a pedestal, when they fall, man, it can devastate us if we're not careful. Or are we prone to praise God when we see people's faith and love? I know for me, more often than I want to admit, I'm prone to be jealous and I'm prone to criticize. Right? If I really believe it's an expression of faith and love, I'm questioning why that's not true of me. Why am I not doing that? And I take my eyes off of what God's doing in their life, and I'm critical of what I'm not doing in my own life. Or I just criticize them to make myself feel better about not seeing the same faith and love growing in my life. Right? I'll just tear that down so I don't feel guilty myself for not expressing the same level of faith and love. I put in my notes, it takes no special skill to see what's wrong with people and to criticize them. There ain't nothing supernatural right? It is not a spiritual gift to be able to see what's wrong with somebody and to criticize them for it. And it is a spiritual gift to be able to see the faith and love increasing in somebody and to not be jealous of it and to not be critical of it, but to be celebratory about it. Do we thrill at hearing of the faith and love of others? Do we rejoice in other spiritual achievements or do we resent others who pass by us spiritually or are praised for it? Are you critical or complimentary of others. I mean, I was listening to a sermon by Ryan Tipton down at Ecclesia in Noonan, and he was challenging his people with, what's your resting spiritual heart rate when it comes to thinking about others? Like when you're just in a moment of silence, in a moment of peace, when, when all the, the busyness of life just kind of settles, what's your resting spiritual heart rate when it comes to others? Are you prone to criticize Are you prone to praise others for what God's doing? We ought to be both amazed and thankful for the Christians in our life. And we ought to celebrate what God's doing. And it ought to spur us on ourselves in our own faith and love. Right? So Paul starts this next long sentence section by saying, Hey, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith and love, I can't stop thanking God for you. I mention you constantly in my prayers. But he's not satisfied with what he's heard, right? He wants them to keep growing in their faith and love. And so for us today, I want to encourage you 
to examine your faith, to examine your love, to be exercising your faith, to be loving towards those around you impartially, intentionally, and then look for these character traits in others and celebrate it. Celebrate it with them, but ultimately celebrate it with God and give him praise for what he's doing. Identity truths that we want to remember as we've been doing throughout this chapter. Number one, every Christian expresses faith in Christ. That's an identity truth to remember. If you're a Christian, you have expressed faith in Christ, and you have a responsibility to continue to express it and to grow in your expression of it. Number two, every Christian demonstrates love towards others. Every Christian demonstrates love towards others. You can't be a Christian without faith and love. It just, it just, it's just inconsistent. Christians have faith. Christians have love. Our application for today, two things, real practical. Like you're going to have to really do something with it, not just think about it, but do something with it. Number one, create one new way to ground yourself in the word to help increase the truth you know and grow the faith you express in that truth. Man, outside of what we're doing here on a Sunday morning, I don't know what level of exposure you're giving yourself to the word throughout the week, but I want you to create one new way to put yourself under God's word to have your faith encouraged, to have your knowledge and your doctrine grow, right? I've kind of decided for myself, um, I was really encouraged last week at Red Oak, they kicked off their uh, new sermon series on the book of Daniel. Like my goal and my plan is to work through that book with them and to listen to their church services when, when I'm driving or whatever throughout the week. Um, I also want to put myself under uh, their uh, Snowbirds podcast that they're using um, called No Sanity Required, right? That, that's for me. Like, I'm not telling you that's what you need to do. I have a special connection with Snowbird that, that really resonates with me. But I want you to think of a, a new way. It's a book to read. It's a, a, a blog to read. It's a, it's a podcast to listen to. It's a, it's a new personal study that you want to do yourself. Create one new way in your schedule that puts you under God's word so that you can grow in the truth of Jesus, so that your faith can then grow as you increase your trust in that truth. Number two, be intentional this week to celebrate the faith and love you see in others. Encourage them that you're seeing faith and love in them, but then also be faithful to give God glory for it. I want you to be creative this week to, to, to look for faith and love that you're seeing in other people, to draw attention to it, to them. But by doing so, you give God glory for what he's doing in their life, right? Let's, let's, let's mimic what Paul is doing here. Highlight the faith and love we see in somebody else. Encourage them with it, but ultimately praise God for the work that he's doing. Let's pray together. God, we thank you and love you. We praise you for giving us your written word to where we can read and understand and expose our hearts and minds to truth. But God, I pray that today will not simply be the result of increasing our head knowledge about you. But God, I pray that you would attach it to our hearts and that we would not only have increased truth today, that we would increase our trust in that truth. God, I pray that we would be faithful to believe you this week when we encounter trials and temptations and difficulties, that you would lessen the gap that it takes for us to turn our attention to your goodness. God, I pray that you would increase our love towards those around us, that we would be abounding in our love in such a way that it's what we're known for. God, help us to be salt and light this week. Help us to, to follow through with the golden rule to treat others the way that we wish to be treated, even if we don't receive the same treatment. But God, help us to not be so me-centered, 
that we miss the work that you're doing in the lives of others. God, help us to see increasing faith and increasing love in the lives of Christians around us. And God, I pray that we would call attention to it, that we wouldn't be jealous of it, we wouldn't be critical of it. Instead, we'd be celebratory about it, that we would give you the praise and the glory and honor. And God, I pray by doing so, you would increase the faith and love that we see in the lives of others too. And God, I pray that you'd increase it in us. Help us not to be satisfied with what you've done in us. Help us to long for more as we wait for you to come back. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.